Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pascal, 1912 Attention all listeners on this frequency. Stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen. Coming from the Bellingham, Washington Medic to Medic Podcast Studios. Hi, it's Steve Cohen. You can download this podcast at speaker.com. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as your favorite platform for podcasts. You can also reach me at medic2medicpodcasts at gmail.com. And of course, the website uh, where all the other podcasts are at medic2medicpodcasts.com. One other announcement, don't forget that the podcast is also available in the UK on ambulancenewsdesk.com. Today, I am joined by Keenan Hart, who is the co-founder and president and chief innovation officer of Integrated Telehealth Solutions. ITS was founded in 2014 uh, by a great story that Keenan will hopefully uh, tell us about. He's also an avid baseball player. He played baseball growing up. He grew up in Detroit. Uh, He is a young entrepreneur, and he came into our office here in Bellingham to talk about telemedicine and his platform. So Keenan, welcome to Medic to Medic podcast. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you for having me on today. And where are you right now? So as of 2021, I've actually moved to Honolulu, Hawaii. So I've been able to take advantage of the virtual work environment that we're all dealing with now. My girlfriend actually uh, is finishing up grad school out here. So it was an opportunity for me to spend more time with her, you know, doing the long distance relationship thing was a feat in itself, but now I'm able to enjoy the sun a little bit more than I was before. So it's pretty nice. And where did you grow up? So I grew up um, all over the place, really. So I was born in Seattle. So I actually have roots um, in the Washington state area. Um, I actually was born in Maple Valley. Grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. After high school um, in 2009, moved down to South Carolina to go play baseball in college. After that all ended for me, moved to Las Vegas in 2012. And then as I talked about, you know, recently in the change of the year, I moved to Honolulu. So this is where I'm based out of now. What's the temperature in Honolulu right now? Right now it is probably around 78 degrees and blue skies. Uh, so exactly how you exactly how you picture it. Uh, that's nice. Uh, I've been to Hawaii 
uh, 30 plus years ago on my honeymoon, we went to uh, Oahu and Maui. It was great. Had a great time. And now that I'm living on the West Coast, my wife and I just actually talked about, well, we, we always talked about going back to Hawaii. Now we're closer. So eventually we'll come over and uh, relive our honeymoon, I think. There you go. So you grew up, you were born in Seattle. What got you to Detroit? My family's always been, or at least I've grown up in an entrepreneurial environment, right? My dad was somewhat of a serial entrepreneur as I was growing up. In 1997, he um, acquired a franchise of a business called Adventures in Advertising and actually started a franchise in the Detroit market. And so famous story in my family goes, you know, dad comes home one day after traveling a lot and says, we're going to move to Detroit. And my mom says, what do you mean we're going to move to Detroit? And he said, we're only going to be there for two years. And to prove that to you, we're actually going to establish our phone number with the last four digits of 1999, because that's when we'll be moving back, right? Flash forward, of course, nothing ever goes as it seems. And they actually moved out to meet me um, in Las Vegas in 2013. So they overstayed by about 14 years there. Uh, What got you interested in baseball? I'm a big baseball fan. That's why I ask. Okay. Yeah. So um, I grew up playing all the sports, right? I remember being five years old in uh, Maple Valley and playing on a competitive t-ball team. And so sports have always been a big part of my background, so much so that, you know, I decided when I was living in Detroit to go to more of a, uh, like a powerhouse, all boys Catholic school to play sports. Uh, Detroit Catholic Central was the name of that school. And so, you know, sports have always been a part of my life and they took me away from school all the way down into college. And then unfortunately, you know, that ended for me and I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do next in life. And business was the next opportunity because of how I kind of grew up looking at my dad. And what did you study in college? So in college, I actually studied uh, communication studies and uh, sociology. So I was always very interested in the way in which people communicated. Um, it's always been something that I thought is very interesting because some people are very captivating when they talk to other people. And so when I got into college... I kind of went through the process of learning what I was really trying to get into. And as every freshman does, you know, you change your major a couple of times. And I ended up, you know, taking a communication studies class. And we talked about communication theory and the different processes of how you can effectively communicate with people. And that was something that really caught my eye, as well as the sociology stuff, right? So being able to look at societal trends and norms and why people do the things they do. I've always been somewhat of an observer when it comes to that kind of stuff. I know you said your dad's an entrepreneur and you had that in your family. Did you think you were going to go down that direction? And before we get into ITS, what other ventures did you have? Yeah, so as a kid, kind of was always, you know, doing the entrepreneurial thing. I had the benefit of growing up on a golf course. So I remember one of my early stories of living in Maple Valley, being on the golf course, and we actually lived on a tee box. And so I would actually set up my little, like, plastic neck table, if you will, as a little kid with a little umbrella and I would go out into the golf course with my dad when he was playing golf, and I would pick up all the golf balls, and I'd clean them, and I'd try to sell them back to the guys on the tee box. <laughs> that actually worked out pretty well for me. I remember having a bunch of sales, but then the marshal would come by, of course, and say, you got to get, get off the course, kid. You can't be selling your little uh, golf balls here. So that was my first step. But, you know, as I got out of – once I transferred from South Carolina to UNLV, I finished up school there, and it was time to kind of get out into the real world. This is kind of the opportunity where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do just in general. And I was fortunate enough that my dad had given me a, a warm handoff to one of his friends who actually owned a office furniture company. And so he would sell desks, cubicles, everything that you need to outfit an office, right? 
And so I spent the summer of 2013 working for this guy for $11 an hour, almost as something of a, you know, a low level employee. And my summer entailed showing up at 7am every single day, going into the back of the warehouse and pulling these big cubicles off these shelves and uploading them into a truck and driving around in the Las Vegas heat. So 116, 117, 118 degrees, going to office building after office building, installing furniture all day. Now, as the summer started to come to a close, I started to recognize, man, like, I can't do this forever. So I looked around and the guys were like, well, you know, your pay's not that great now, but next year when you come back, next season, it's going to be even better. I looked at everybody and I was thinking to myself, man, I can't do this. So, you know, I came home that day and at that time I was fortunate enough to live with my parents and I sat down across from the table from my pops and I was like, dad, you know, I can't do this. Can you help me do what you did? And he said, so you want to start a business? And I said, yeah. And so what we did is we actually, at the time, something was very prevalent was Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So being a technological native, you know, being younger, technology has always been an interesting part of my life. And in 2013, 2014, those platforms were really starting to explode with popularity. So people were coming out with innovation like drones and other things like that. And so I looked at the marketplaces and said, if these guys are getting a million dollars for pre-orders, if you will, or pledges is what they're technically called for their product, why can't we do that? And so we created a little website and we actually named it Small Guy, Start Small, Dream Big. And that was a tagline of our company. And we approached these companies that were having tremendous success on Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And we talked to them about how we were actually going to be able to run a simple marketing campaign for them and boost up their pre-orders or their pledges, if you will. And if you know anything about business, right, you talk about economies of scale. So when you're producing products, if I want to make a pen, the more pens I produce, the more my cost goes down per pen, the more money I can make when I sell them. And so as we started working with these different companies, we found that a lot of these guys had a great idea, but no business acumen. So they didn't have the ability to deliver. And so we would take pre-orders for all these different products, and then we'd be on the hook as they were supposed to deliver in June. And now it's December and people are hitting us up and saying, where's my product at? And we're saying, oh, we're dealing with the distributor and they're coming and blah, blah, blah. And it was a process that we had to learn a lot that a lot, everybody, not everyone's as good at doing business as they are at creating a marketing video. And so, you know, we kind of tried to pivot out of that business and that eventually turned into ITS actually. All right. So you have a unique story on how ITS started. So why don't you tell us about it? So in 2008, when we were living in Detroit, my grandma was living in Tacoma, Washington at the time, right? And so, of course, she had been coming to the end of her years, and she was an avid smoker. So she had emphysema at the end of life. And then all of a sudden, on a day um, during the week, my dad got a phone call. And, of course, it was the hospital and the overseeing doctor who said, your mom's on hospice now. We just admitted her into the process. You need to be here so we can tell you what's going on as the family caregiver. So my dad, of course, as emotionally charged as that experience is, dropped everything and flew as quick as he could next day, same day, all the way to Tacoma to be with grandma and make sure that she was okay. As soon as he landed, of course, he went through all the processes of dealing with all the DME companies and the different hospice organizations and the social worker and everybody else. And then he was kind of just relegated to sit and wait, and just hold down the fort for the entire family. Of course, you know, us wanting to be there, but still being very much in high school, having sports, because I played baseball, football, and basketball, I couldn't exactly leave automatically to be at grandma's side. So my dad came back after about a week and a half. And then unfortunately, as soon as he landed, 
he had to fly right back because he got that dreaded phone call saying transitions happening. You need to be here. It's going to be the end of life. Let's get everything in order. So once again, he being the only person in my family who had the financial resources and flexibility because of his job situation, flew to Washington, was there with grandma, and then kind of played the mediator or the intercom for everyone who wanted to reach out and say goodbye to grandma. And I just remember as being an 18-year-old, how impacted I was by that experience of wanting to be there, but not being able to say my goodbyes, especially when it comes to not being able to look at someone who you love so much at the end of life. Um, because cell phones back in the day and then were not as good as they are now. There was no FaceTime. There was no real tools that we could use to actively connect, even as we do now like via the computer or our phones. After grandma passed away, that kind of left a, a mark on my family of, you know, just that overall emotional experience, which wasn't a great one. And so as we were building Small Guy, and I talked about how we additional or eventually transitioned that business into ITS, there's a big consumer electronics show in uh, Nevada called CES, right? In Vegas, huge one. Everybody goes from all over the world. You see the best gadgets in the world. And so we were there looking at different innovative products to try and put them onto our website and say, hey, you guys have an awesome phone case. You guys have a really cool wireless charger. Let's try and partner. And as we're walking around CES on the third day of the entire conference, and we've probably walked 100 miles at this point because you're walking throughout the convention center, we stumble across this robot. It's on wheels. And it has a screen. And it was actually created by this company called Suitable Technologies, and it was called a Beam. And funny story is it was actually um, highlighted on a show called The Big Bang Theory. It right. was a character. Yeah, Sheldon, yeah, Sheldon. I'm very familiar yeah. with it. It was just on exactly. last week. <laughs> there you go. And so Sheldon uh, wanted to go to work, but he was sick. And so he invented this robot where he could actually be there and drive around the office, right? And so eventually that turned into the beam from Suitable Technologies. Pretty cool. That's a pretty cool and connection. So, That's a good story. I like yeah, that. Exactly. And so after my dad had shut down his little advertising business in Michigan or in Detroit, he um, actually started a healthcare business. And so he was doing everything in the operations from the basement up in a hospital. So providing trays, packs, and kits, doing everything that you would need from deliverables, everything that's a usable item. And so naturally, he said to me, Keenan, you understand what this is, right? And I said, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool little, you know, telecommunications robot. He said, what if doctors could use that? So, you know, that kind of sparked a mind or a little beam in his head, beam. And, um, you know, eventually we went back and we started looking about how you could leverage a product like this in healthcare. And it just so happened at the same time in May of 20 or 2014, there was a legislative bill called Assembly Bill 292 that came out in the state of Nevada. It was actually the legislative law that said you can have a virtual consultation with your doctor as if it happened in person and you can be reimbursed the same. So naturally, we thought, well, this product that we just saw at CES could go into hospitals. So you could imagine our excitement literally as two guys sit across the table from one another in his office, dad on one side, me on the other, and we're literally highlighting different sections of this legislative bill, just going through it and trying to interpret it the best we can. That led us to, you know, be going out to different hospitals. And of course, this is early days of telemedicine, right? Even, even more so than now. And we go into hospitals and people tell us there's no way we can bill for these things. No one is going to reimburse for these services. What doctor is going to want to see a patient virtually? And especially you guys have this robot that drives around. This is a little bit too forward thinking for us. And so we spent years knocking on doors, trying to work with people. 
and getting basically the door slammed in our face until one day my mom being the brilliant woman who she is said wouldn't it have been amazing if you guys had that tool in hospice and i remember it like it was yesterday i was just pulling up to meet lunch or to meet for lunch with one of our clients and she calls me and says you know you should try and think about going to a hospice company talking to how you can connect family members and using this tool of course, we went through the trials and tribulations of, you know, figuring out how we could place video in a hospice organization. Um, and that's kind of the birth of how we really got started leveraging technology, hospice, and bringing people together. And then, of course, it's advanced into everything that we see today in telehealth. Talk about how it works. I mean, I saw the demonstration. I know it's kind of tough because we're on a podcast and people aren't going to see. But can you explain what the pieces are? And now we're in. 2021 and COVID hit, how's that impacted your business also? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things, because we were based in Nevada, biggest thing that we recognized um, when we got outside of hospice was what other sector of healthcare needs help with delivering services. And naturally, we got an introduction to a hospital system that was for behavioral health. And they said, we're having real trouble getting the psychiatrist to come to our hospital and do the um, care plan evaluations, which is necessary. When someone gets admitted, you have to evaluate them, and then you can go on with the care plan. So you can see that, you know, when you have a national shortage of providers, it's difficult for people to render care effectively and timely when a part of the chain is missing, right? Or you have to wait on that individual to drive across town. So we started standing up our telehealth solution um, in those environments. But we quickly found out that the robot that was driving around on wheels was a little bit too cumbersome. And so what we did is we actually designed a small tabletop robotic pedestal that actually holds an iPad. Being a little bit younger at the time, right, 25 years old, I recognized that these things called iPads are just as good, are just as good at computing information as my current desktop or my laptop was. And so why don't we use these tools? And at the exact same time, we had just actually gotten introduced to Zoom while they were Zoom in 2014. So we were in downtown San Francisco meeting with Zoom when they're a small shop. And it was interesting because we actually got taken into the CEO um, of Zoom's office. And we sat down across the table from him, and he was the nicest guy in the world. He was like, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing in the senior space. We know that telemedicine is going to be something someday. We want to do video incredibly well. So you tell us what you need and we'll help you out. And so that was an interesting conversation because now Eric's worth about, you know, $13 billion. So he's inflated a little bit um, over the time, which is pretty interesting. But, you know, part of why Zoom is so important is because that big robot that we were driving around in the very beginning uh, was very difficult to use specifically because of the network connectivity. When you think about telehealth in general, one of the obstacles through time has been network connectivity. And it's also been video, right? So if you have a choppy video experience, it's not good for anybody involved, especially clinician, clinicians or patients. Jump forward into my story a little bit. We started recognizing that behavioral health needed to some assistance in delivering care. And being located in Nevada, there's a lot of towns that are in the middle of nowhere, right? Three and a half hours in the middle of the desert. They've got populations of 4,000, 5,600 who need mental health services. But unfortunately, um, there's no providers who live there. So we started partnering with local behavioral health organizations and actually placing our newly developed little robot pedestal iPad holder um, into those healthcare environments. So rural health clinics, federally health qualified health centers, had a little pedestal robot put in there. And when they call in, 
we actually integrated with Zoom because Zoom is actually, you know, architected to run on low bandwidth internet because it's actually primarily, you know, made to run on mobile devices. If you're pulling down a cellular signal, you're not going to have the most robust signal ever. So Zoom created some efficiencies for us being, you know, architected for low bandwidth internet and then also giving us the freedom to integrate our product into that platform means that now when we call into the device, we can actually look around in the space. So very much calling into Zoom, you're on our device, you've got up, down, left, and right arrows where you can actually look left, look up, look down, look right. It's a more engaging process rather than just being on a laptop or a television screen. So, you know, we've seen the development of technology happen pretty quickly, but we've also used it to our advantage to create a better telehealth experience. You talked about iPad, but I assume it can be used on other platforms. Yeah. So um, because we leverage Zoom as a video component, the best thing that we've been able to take advantage of is the agnostic nature of Zoom. So any device that Zoom can go on, our robotic pedestal and our solution and software can also go on. So iPads, iOS devices, LGs, whatever that is, um, we can utilize. And that's a key component that I think is really important for telehealth in general is if you're going to get adoption of telehealth at mass scale, you need to leverage experiences and technology that people are used to using, right? So using their own phone, using an iPad they know how to use, a tablet, using a video component now like Zoom has been very advantageous for us because like I talked about, early years of telehealth sales were difficult because people didn't believe. Then COVID hits, right? And now everyone's locked in their homes. So what does everybody do? Everybody starts adopting video platforms like Zoom for school, for social interactions with our families to stay connected and check in on our loved ones, um, as well as work. So we've kind of been in a great strategic position because we're leveraging that same video platform of Zoom across the shared experience of what people have come to expect in video. So now we're not asking people to do more, but we're asking them to just do what they're doing now to not to connect with their you know, superiors or their employees in a Zoom meeting, but also connect with their doctor or their care team. Well, we're in an EMS type podcast. What do you think the implications or what the uses are for EMS? Absolutely. So the one thing that we've been able to do incredibly well is leverage the infrastructure and technology that's available to us today. And so we talked about those iPads, right? When we first got started in the space, iPads were somewhat limited, but they've developed to become more powerful um, from a processing perspective, but also a connectivity perspective as well. So what we've done in Nevada is we actually worked with law enforcement to start in a mobile delivery of telehealth modality. That meant law enforcement actually took one of our devices out to the scene of an incident. So for people who are having some type of behavioral health incident in the community, the police show up, right? And a lot of the times they are now playing not almost not only law enforcement, but they're also playing behavioral health psychologist as well. And they have to try and de-escalate a situation on the scene with someone who's having an episode. And so what we did is we said, you know what? If you guys want to take one of our devices out into the field, you can stand it up and then we can have a psychiatrist or a social worker or whatever resource you need from the mental and behavioral health side interact with that individual in the community. The biggest thing that we're really trying to do is get eyes on the scene to get a better understanding of what's happening on the ground before we end up you know, having additional costs to transfer people into a hospital or more so what happens is you take those individuals to jail and then they end up just being in the system, they get released and then they come back in. It's a frequent flyer situation.
And so, you know, with EMS, I get incredibly excited because having the ability to bring in a doctor to the scene at an EMS location or bring in a specialized set of eyes to get a better understanding of what's going on in the moment right now will always play better than a phone call or a documented note or some type of internal chat message that says, we're coming in. All right, well, we'll see you in five minutes, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've heard the story about you work in the hospital, you get the call, somebody's coming out with a gunshot wound, they're two minutes out, and now you got to kind of scramble to get ready for that individual. Wouldn't it be powerful if you could have eyes on the scene, or at least in the transportation process, get eyes into that environment and look at what's going on to give better, you know, oversight, inputs, and just get better preparedness for when that individual shows up at the scene of uh, a medical environment. Say you had to knock on a lot of doors. What valuable lessons did you learn when you're knocking on the doors and, and hearing no all the time? How do you turn that around? I mean, that's a great question, right? I mean, I think that's very much part of the entrepreneurial spirit. Being told no when I first got started in this business was something that was almost like soul crushing because you're young and you believe in your idea and you go out and you tell people tell you that's never true. It'll never happen. We can't do that. You don't know what you're talking about, right? So, you know, very early in my career and still to this day, I recognize that no's right now are yeses later because I cannot tell you what will happen in the future, but if you really believe and you're doing good work, people will come back around. You know, you hear that story echoed throughout time. Uh, I was telling you guys it was coming and then nobody believed us and then 2020 happens and we have a global pandemic, right? And now it seems like telemedicine in itself and telehealth, more importantly, has become a normal that people will experience in the future and healthcare systems are now somewhat scrambling to adopt this new digital version of how they can deliver care. Before it was looked at as something of a nuance or a luxury, but now it has a real impact on being able to drive costs out of a system, create efficiencies and you know, give people care where they need it right now. The reimbursement component too, it probably is very attractive to the hospital and hopefully somewhere down the line for EMS. Where do you think telehealth is going in the future? Yeah, I mean, so there's this is a great conversation or a great topic that was brought up a lot last year, right? So when I remember, once again, like it was yesterday, when President Trump came on TV and said, we are eliminating all the restrictions for telehealth, and you can use whatever you need for telehealth, right? Just using it as a term. And so organizations went out into the marketplace and started doing whatever they could to connect with people via video. Right? And so they started using things like FaceTime and Skype and Google Duo and all the other tools that are out there to connect people visually. And part of that was the, also the relaxation of the reimbursement laws. So saying that you didn't exactly need to be HIPAA compliant, but now you're going to be paid as if those services are happening. And from my perspective, sitting in the seat of being on the train before they got crowded, you know, once you let this genie out of the bottle, it's going to be very difficult to get that genie back in the bottle. As soon as the president of the United States said, yep, we're just going to relax the requirements and yes, you can get reimbursed, use whatever you can do. Uh, how fast did your phone ring? I can't tell you. Those first couple months were quite hectic, right? I mean, we had people somewhat banging on all of our doors trying to get more information about telehealth, trying to ask what type of systems we had in place to get access right now. And I think we did a good job of being able to be responsive in that moment, especially being able to enable people with tools so they could stay connected with their individual clients, 
patients, residents, family members of patients as well was a big one for us a lot last year. But it's been it's been an amazing process. But you know what we've also seen now in 2021 is a lot of organizations are starting to come back out of the woods by saying we went into war with an iPhone and FaceTime forming telehealth services. And now we're recognizing that that's not what we need. We need something that's more sustainable because like you talked about, I mean, President Trump, our president at the time, announces that telehealth is a basically a free game. Everybody does whatever they can to get into the space. And now they're recognizing that they need more sustainable, more predictable, and more consistent tools to stay connected with their patients and or whoever they're serving in the marketplace. So this year has been busy for us as well. How secure is it and how does your platform HIPAA compliant or, and provide that privacy for both the physician and or for the patient? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And that's one of the questions that we always have to ask our clients as well. And they say, you know, we're using FaceTime, we're using tools like this, but unfortunately that video is not encrypted, right? So the one thing that Zoom does incredibly well is they have a HIPAA compliant BAA version of their platform. So everything is encrypted. So all audio and video being sent and received is encrypted by a 256 key plus password. So you're not going to be able to tap into that video, right? Which is incredibly important. I mean, another thing that we saw um, because of Zoom's mass adoption in general is they've actually taken some great progressive steps to protect the privacy of the people on the platforms. You know, early in 2020, um, and I guess no or no publicity is bad publicity, but they had a lot of things in the tabloids about people coming into meetings in schools, and they call them Zoom bombings, right? People coming in. And so they did a lot of work in the last year, especially tightening up their security protocols. So now they've got things like waiting rooms, they have encrypted passwords, they have passwords to be able to get into a room as well, which is incredibly important. So we leverage that infrastructure from a video perspective, which is incredibly important, to protect that private time between your doctor and your patient and or a patient and their family, which is something we do a lot of as well for social visitation. But our platform in general, right, has to be protected appropriately in HIPAA guidelines. So making sure that passwords are protected, making sure that we have the appropriate consents in place to be able to communicate with things via SMS text, send appointment reminders, education. Uh, privacy of the overall patient experience is something that we take incredibly serious. You know, me being, once again, a little younger, I look at telehealth as being a ever emerging and evolving space, right? We have to use technology that people are used to using in order to deliver that trusted healthcare experience. That means video has to be appropriate. That means everything has to be easy to use. That means the experience of communicating with the provider has to be one that people will do and do over and over again. And that's kind of where we've seen a big you know, change in healthcare as well is technology's always been in healthcare, right? Patient portals have always been something that have been around, but unfortunately things like patient portals haven't got great adoption because they're protected by a username and a password. And when you ask a patient to go to a platform and log in and use username and password to receive a message from your doctor, it creates maybe a one-time adoption, but people often don't come back to that experience because it's cumbersome. Or, I mean, somebody like me who uses Face ID on their phone now, right, I'm starting to forget all my passwords. 
And so if I have passwords for this app and that computer and this login and that, it creates issues, right? So what we do is we leverage SMS texting with, you know, two-step verification and consents to be able to communicate in a modality that people are used to. It makes a big difference. How many units do you have out there and how does it work? We have hundreds of units out there. You know, we're unique from a business perspective because we're tackling a couple fronts. We've got hardware, which we can stand up in a healthcare clinic in a healthcare environment, if that's static or mobile. So we have the ability to stand up hardware in a place where we can obtain access to patients, which is incredibly important because some people don't have technology, right? I mean, we deal a lot with the Medicaid population and people being in Nevada, especially, our people are transient as they come in and out of Vegas. They come in, they leave, they stay, they go. And so being able to keep tabs with those people means being able to go where the patients are located. So that's where we play hardware. And then we also have the direct-to-consumer software model of Teletether, which means staying connected wherever a patient is located via SMS text, notifications, and email, right? And so our model overall is a subscription model. And we are not the most expensive show in town, but we are very much not the cheapest show in town either. You know, the system that we try and stand up is something of an integrated system, right? We work with organizations to identify how you want to be successful in telehealth. We create a plan together, and then we start implementing based on phases of success. You know, the one thing that I think a lot of companies did in 2020 was they created a product, they gave it to a customer or a healthcare system, and they said, good luck, go at it. But you find that a lot of organizations want to participate, but they also need to be taught and handheld along that journey. And so that's why I think we do such a good job and why we have such sustainable success with the organizations we deal with because we actually, you know, create a plan and we work it together. Keenan is the chief innovation officer and co-founder of ITS, the Integrated Telehealth Solutions. How can my listeners or anybody else listening to this podcast uh, get in touch with you and learn more about your product? Absolutely. So you're welcome to visit our website at itstelehealth.com. It's telehealth.com. Or you can reach out to us at info at integratedtelehealthsolutions.com. Um, any information that you find on our website, we're happy to correlate and correspond with you guys and figure out how we can create a path forward. But I appreciate you letting me on here today, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure. Keenan, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me from Honolulu.